Or, like, to even know it's there. To even know about it. Because for us, like, it took a long time for us to, like, market ourselves. (laughs) And I think it also takes a while for people to trust a brand. Like, there's something about just even being around for, like, two or three years in Montreal that, like, that that idea of, like, oh, you've heard that name in the back of your head gives you more trust when you're like, should I meet up with a stranger? Like, Yeah, and there's the other piece of, like, once you actually make that decision to be like, okay, I'm going to go get help. Uh, it it yeah. takes a little while to actually build up the confidence mm-hmm. to go make that first appointment. That's Nimra Khan, Chloe Chow, and Sarah Fennessy, the founders of Vent Over Tea. Could you imagine a version of reality where you meet up with a stranger? Not a friend, not a psychologist, a stranger. And then just vent it about your problems in an attempt to process and make sense out of the chaos in your life? It takes a little bit of imagination, doesn't it? You've heard this story when you were younger. Don't get into strangers' cars, don't enter strangers' homes, and definitely don't tell strangers about your private problems. Now, if you rewind the clock just 10 years, it's hard to imagine a world in which we tap a button on our phone and a stranger in a car shows up at our doorstep and drives us wherever we want. Or a world in which we can rent other people's homes for weekend getaways instead of booking a hotel. And yet, now we take these things for granted. Sarah set out to make that same shift happen, except instead of tackling transportation or hospitality, she decided to tackle mental health. I came into to McGill um, just right after high school, and I had gone through uh, a bit of a traumatic event. So when I came to Montreal, a new city, I, needed, I was in a situation where I had to find... Uh, another therapist in in Montreal because I was coming from Calgary. And it was uh, back in 2011 when all those strikes were going on. So Miguel Mental Health was actually on strike at the time. (laughs) So I was literally in a situation where there were just no mental mental health resources on campus. And this was also like before the peer support center even existed. Um, So that's when I sought out uh, a therapist who worked off campus. Um, And then after going through a few years of that, uh, kind of, yeah, got fed up with the services that were available on campus, and that's kind of how this started to come to fruition. <laughs> this is Made at McGill, an origin story podcast about McGill University's makers, aka entrepreneurs and innovators. How did these students, researchers, and alumni figure out how to make the world a better place? Well, it's complicated, but keep listening, it's a good story. This show is brought to you by the Miguel Dobson Center for Entrepreneurship. Our mission is to inspire, teach, and develop world-class entrepreneurs. You can learn more at miguel.ca slash Dobson. I, I got the initiative started, uh, and the reason I did was I, I, was, I had been going to, to therapy for a couple years and um, overcame post-traumatic stress disorder, which was really exciting. Um, but I didn't need professional services anymore because I no longer had a diagnosable disorder, but I still really loved talking to my therapist. Like it was just nice to have that like uncensored conversation and, um, that time to just kind of unwind and talk through your struggles and what's been making you anxious. Um, because even if you don't have a disorder, there's still so much shit going on in your life. (laughs) There's a ton of students on campus who who don't have a diagnosable mental health disorder, mm-hmm. but they're all still struggling. 
and they're not getting help because a lot of them say, well, I, I don't need professional help. So what else is there? Like, I can talk to my friends, I can talk to my parents, but that's it. And then one day she was sitting in a class taught by Richard Kessner, a psychology professor at McGill who teaches personality and human motivation. Yeah, he was our professor and he was showing us this study that was basically, it was trying to prove that, um, or it was testing out to see if a therapist who had been in the business for 30 years was more effective than a therapist just fresh out of uh, university. And so they set up uh, these really interesting trial groups where they had a group of uh, men who all had uh, mild depression and they sent a, a group as a control group so they got no help. And then one group went to see uh, a psychologist who had been in the business for 30 years. Another group saw a psychologist who, who just started. And then the last group, um, they just got to talk to a, like an English literature professor on campus. <laughs> so someone with no mental health experience, but just kind of a warm, caring individual. And uh, what they found from that was all three groups that went to go talk to someone all improved significantly from the start of the experiment. Uh, and the group who saw no one, they, they had no change in their symptoms. Uh, but the interesting thing was there was no difference between the three groups. So just the act of like talking to someone made a difference and it didn't need to be the world's best therapist. So here's a quick recap. Sarah was familiar with the problem, namely the lack of mental health services on campus for students who wanted to talk through their struggles even when it wasn't an emergency situation and they didn't have a diagnosable disorder. And then in class, she comes across this research showing that people can make measurable improvements in mental health without seeing a professional. And here comes the light bulb moment when these two pieces of the puzzle just click into place. So I was like, oh, this is super interesting. <laughs> what if we got like a group of really good uh, listeners together who were like willing to volunteer their time and then make it free so that we don't have to pay $100 to go see that best therapist who, who's giving you the same results as just an empathetic person could. I've noticed there are two characters when it comes to McGill entrepreneurs, and I want to use this break to talk about the first one, Contemplative Connor. These are the people who are interested in entrepreneurship but haven't fully dived in yet. If that sounds like you, we can help. The McGill Dobson Center has packaged a toolkit of useful resources to inspire you, teach you, and help you meet other entrepreneurs. Everything is either on campus or in the cloud. First, our blog featuring lessons learned from startup events and interviews with successful McGill entrepreneurs at dobsonchronicles.com. Second, our weekly events, which are free and open to the public. You can get our full calendar at miguel.ca slash dobson slash events. And finally, Miguel Dobson Match. Whether you're recruiting for your startup or you're looking to join one, sign up at miguel.dobsonmatch.com to get started. At the next break, I'll talk to you about the second character, Committed Carol. Now, back to the show. That's the that's the, the long-winded word in like the scene. Um, so I I had this like idea brewing and I was like, I don't know how to make this come to life. I didn't know what the vision was it for, like was for it, but I, I just wanted something to happen. So I made this post on 
on Spotted McGill anonymously. <laughs> and I was like, everyone was like posting, it was like exam, around exam time. And everyone's uh, kind of like opening up about their struggles with, with exams and how uh, kind of depression was ongoing at the time and anxieties. And um, yeah, I, I had made a post being like, does anyone want to help me make this service to kind of help <laughs> everyone out who's struggling like uh, at McGill? And I posted like, I created some random email address and I said, email me, I'm going to set up a meeting in the new year. And then Chloe was one of the responders to that. And yeah. she came to the first meeting and uh, yeah, came to every single meeting every week after that when we were just trying <laughs> to work through what this program was going to be, what this organization was going to be. Um, and we started meeting a whole bunch of people and we ended up meeting uh, this one student named Ferris who introduced us to Nimra and that's how she joined our team. Yeah. So it just kind of spiraled out from there. But we none of us knew each other before this. Cool. Yeah. 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 Wow. So what was the first conversation you had with them? So I met up with Sarah and uh, I actually just wanted to be a listener at first. So I just like interviewed for the listening position and it went really well. And because it was the beginning and like we were like still starting up. We, uh, I started getting more involved. I helped with the organization of the the group just because I came from like, um, I've been in clubs before, and so like knowing the organization behind those things, I like kind of brought it into us, mm -hmm. and then started just working closely with <clears throat> these girls, and we just kind of went from there. <laughs> cool. You definitely gave our, our organization some much needed structure. <laughs> yeah, and still do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Vent Over Tea was born, a face-to-face -face active listening service matching people who want to talk with people trained to listen. Here's how it works. You go to ventovertea.com, click book now, choose your city, then pick a day and time slot and cafe of your choosing, enter your contact information, and click confirm. On the day of, you show up, you have your conversation, you drink your drink, and then you go home. No money to be exchanged, no need for follow-up, no strings attached. Chloe was one of the first listeners. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> totally. I can't, I'll always remember the first like session I went to. Yeah. Um, I was so nervous. <laughs> I was so nervous. Um, but it was like one of the most gratifying experiences ever. Like that first time where you like sit down with someone who you don't know at all, they don't know you. And, like, you just see them go from being a stranger to someone who, like, completely opens up and, like, bears their soul and, like, puts so much trust into you who, like, they don't know you at all. That's and, amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and there's something really beautiful, too, about, like, just walking away at the end of it without being, like, oh, like, I'll touch base with you on this, like, and see how you're doing. It's just, like, I don't know, this one-time encounter that, like, you're both there very present in the moment and then there's no, like, follow-up or... And there's no like expectations that. of follow-up either. Yeah. It's just like, a, okay, I'm done now. I said everything I had to say and like... Mm -hmm. Yeah. While they were building the service, their idea of what healthy human communication looks like changed. They realized that most conversations are broken. People have a hard time connecting with others because they don't really listen. And they don't really listen because, well, listening is hard. I don't yeah. think you realize how hard it can be to listen to someone and, and fully be present for them because mm -hmm. so often we just listen for that gap in conversation where we can interject and just jump in with uh, our own responses. So it really changes the way you approach conversations. Um, 
and it's hard. Like, it, like I remember doing like the first vent over tea session and you just have to be so conscious <laughs> yeah. of what you say and how you say it and how you're reading the other person and how to help, uh, how to help keep the conversation about them. Because I mean, so often every time we're in a conversation, we just bring it back to our own stories and how it relates to their story, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is the complete opposite of what we do in our, our event sessions. We really just keep it about the venture. Um, so it's, it's cool. I, I mean, I would recommend everyone to try just an active listening training. I mean, there's a free one on campus that you can register for at McGill. Um, and, and you'll learn a ton. It could definitely save a bunch of, uh, relationships too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> yeah. On the business side of Vent Over Tea, things were scrappy, but they did whatever they had to. Their tech stack was rudimentary at first, but they upgraded eventually after getting some outside help. Oh, <laughs> we had um, a very funny little landing page where you filled out this very quick form and it would send us uh, an email with the, the results from the form and we would basically post it in a <laughs> private Facebook group with all the volunteers and ask like who's available Who to take this, this? <laughs> yeah. and then it would just be like sometimes like five people would respond to it and we would just have to like eeny meeny miny mo. so that part has changed a lot now we have um, a whole uh, schedule yeah a schedule like a, a calendar that you can select times and each time corresponds to a volunteer's calendar um, actually, we we stole that idea from the Dobson Cup because we were getting mentorship at the time from the Dobson mentors because we were doing the Dobson Cup. And the scheduling system we would use to book appointments with them was youcanbook.me. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones who suggested, they're like, well, why don't you just use the same thing we use? And then we've been using that ever since. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it integrated really well into our website. And then, uh, yeah, it syncs with Google Cal, so it, it's been really convenient. And we don't have to rely on a Facebook group anymore. Yeah, and, uh, our nice. volunteers are actually accountable for um, the hours that they are yeah. supposed to be available. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for the most. <laughs> but yeah, the first year we had eight bookings. Like the, the first full year. year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a really slow. Uh, but we weren't. <laughs> we weren't doing anything to promote, really. Like we had set up a Facebook page. We had like told all our friends <laughs> about it, yeah. but. Participating in the Dobson Cup is is what forced us to really buckle down and made made the service take off. Oh yeah, actually that was like probably the biggest pivot I think was just like entering into the Dobson Cup and like yeah, it was having like, people who actually knew what they were doing like get some guidance because we did not. But it was incredible to just look at the numbers, uh, especially because we started off so slow. Because when we we really buckled down and started focusing, we got the amount of event sessions happening per week to skyrocket to the point where they'd be like maybe once a month to like three times a day and then, uh, like there yeah it was it was crazy we were able to get it uh up pretty high with some active marketing on campus and um there was also such a huge demand to become a volunteer that we were able to yeah, use that gosh, as now. well like yeah. one year oh, yeah. I think we got like like 80 applicants yeah or something. we did we actually did <laughs> and uh we encouraged them all to try out the service first um just kind of see how it worked and see if like it, w- it was going to be a good fit for what they wanted to do, uh, which also resulted in our numbers skyrocketing right before the Dobson Cup competition. So we were able to create this incredible graph. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I would definitely attribute a lot of that to our success <laughs> at the competition. Oh my gosh, yeah, totally. 
Yeah. But yeah, that was really great. And then what happened too was that like that resulted in kind of a natural growth because people would try out the service and then all of a sudden they would start like it's such a weird experience that then they would go and like you know, when if they met up with their friends later on, they would like bring it up and then more people were starting to find out about it in that way. So it was like a sneaky way of getting people to use the service, but then actually like resulted in more people finding out about it and using it. Yeah. Yeah. Back to my very unscientific observations. Let's talk about the second character, Committed Carol. She's ready to move her business forward fast. If this sounds like you, the McGill Dobson Center offers a slightly different package. Three dedicated and selective programs to help you build your startup. That's one each semester. First, the McGill Lean Startup Program is our part-time fall incubator for early-stage startups. Second, the McGill Dobson Cup is our winter startup competition offering over $150,000 in prize money, as well as exclusive access to world-class mentors. And finally, the McGill X1 Accelerator is our full-time summer accelerator for later stage startups to get you investment ready and fly you to demo days all over the continent. To learn more or apply for these programs, visit mcgill.ca slash dobson. Now, back to the show. Most founders don't set the bar high enough for growth in the early days. That's why you need to talk to mentors who can give you a little push to make that happen. It's not just about strategic advice. It's also about helping you discover your limits. Sometimes it's not enough to work smart. You have to work hard and be held accountable. Actually, I guess like during the Dobson Cup, um, my first meeting with our mentor was, it was kind of like a kick in the butt. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, Patrick really, like I went in there like kind of being like, oh, like we've created this thing. We've had eight sessions in a year. Like, I don't know, can you like give us some advice? We like were just entered in this competition and he was like, I'm not going to give you any advice. Like, I want you to leave the office. Like, I want you to double the amount of sessions that you've had in the year in the next week and then come back to me in a week. And I was like, oh, my God, what? I remember, like, texting Sarah. I was like, Sarah, like, we need to tell everyone we know to use the service. Like, we need to double our sessions. Um, and then we came back again with 16. And he was like, great, double it. <laughs> yeah. And it was and we did. We were we had exponential growth going for a few weeks there, yeah. which was really cool. Uh, but yeah, that that definitely kicked us in the butt. And after those early days, things change. The initiative is no longer an initiative. It becomes a more complex system that needs to be maintained and managed. There is a metamorphosis that occurs, and sometimes the people who planted the seed don't end up enjoying the type of work that's required to grow and maintain a tree. I mean, building Vent Over Tea was so exciting and it was something I was so passionate about. But uh, the entrepreneurship side of it, I wasn't so passionate about. So once it, it, be, it eventually got to a point where I got big enough that it became a little bit less about making the service exist because it already did and it was working and it became a lot more about... Um, building out this company and organization mm -hmm. and essentially all of the, the the parts that aren't fun like looking at finances and <laughs> looking into marketing and uh stuff like that that so, so that was hard doing that that shift and um 
I think that's where, where Chloe really stepped up and uh, is kind of running the show <laughs> right now on that front. Um, but yeah, that, that was, I think, the hardest part for me was, was feeling that shift because there's so much excitement when you're just building this very brand new thing. Then once it gets big enough, you have all this responsibility all of a sudden. And it, it was kind of a lot to, to kind of deal with that shift. It taught me a lot about about myself and kind of who I thought I wanted to be and who I am. Because um, I went into it with this this whole idea of, I'm going to become a CEO, an entrepreneur, and like this is going to be my full-time job. And I jumped into it like head first. And then I, I really did not like it. I, I loved building Ventoverty, but the the managing it and, and being its leader... I didn't have the same passion for that and for a while I was really hard on myself because I wanted to be this person who aspired to be a CEO but when I got up there I was like wait a second I don't like this I would, I would <laughs> way rather elect someone else to take on this role and I'll just cheer it on from the sidelines and help out uh, where I can so that that was really hard and I had a hard time kind of admitting that to myself um, yeah that, that was definitely difficult so I, I learned a lot about myself there uh, and kind of learn to accept that not everyone is built to be a CEO and that's okay. And it took like a really long time to kind of accept that and I was fighting it for a while, but um, yeah, it, it taught me a tremendous amount about myself, but it also taught me like if I put my mind to something, I can actually build something tangible and real and help people, which was really cool. But Chloe, did like being a CEO. So why did you take it on? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I feel uh, like Chloe is just really good at it. Like she's, yeah, she's a go-getter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I'm super passionate about it. And, like, I think, I mean, while I definitely, like, feel those same stresses, it's also been super fun for me. Like, I feel like I've learned so much, like, from, like, getting my hands in all these different pots. Pots, pens, yeah. whatever. It is. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I do enjoy it. It's it's super, like I love creating like posters for our events. Like, I really like uh, like working with our team, yeah. and it's really exciting for me right now to like see other people like kind of in these roles where I feel like before I was kind of more involved with everything, and now I'm also wanting to like step a little bit back yeah. from like the day to day organizational stuff and. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's exciting. And her hard work paid off. One day, Chloe was approached by Bell's Let's Talk initiative, a program designed to break the silence around mental illness and support mental health across the country. It's the single largest corporate commitment to mental health in Canada. The campaign has committed over $100 million and has encouraged over a billion online social interactions. In fact, on Twitter, the Bell Let's Talk hashtag was the single most used Canadian hashtag of 2018. So when Bell approached Chloe, it was like the scene at the end of Iron Man, when Nick Fury recruited Tony Stark to be part of a larger initiative. You think you're the only superhero in the world? Mr. Stark, you become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. Who the hell are you? Nick Fury. Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. 
she just like reached out to me on Facebook. It was this woman um, who works on the campaign. And she sent me kind of a sketchy message on Facebook being like, hey, uh, I have a proposition for you. Like, can you send me an email? Like, I work for Bell. Uh, let's talk. And I stopped her on LinkedIn. <laughs> and was like, okay, she's real. And then I sent her an email and we had a phone conversation. And it all happened very quickly. I think I was kind of like thrown in at the end. I think they, like someone dropped out or something because they messaged me a couple weeks before like the whole thing happened. And then everyone came down to Montreal. There was like, I don't know, 40 something of us from across Canada. And yeah, we just like talked about our experience with mental health. Mine is with depression. Um... Now, Chloe just joined the Let's Talk initiative because she wanted to help out and make a difference, not because she wanted her face plastered across billboards all over the city. But Belle had other plans for her. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing was super weird, like the weirdest, weirdest thing ever, because they used my photo like on a lot of posters. So yeah, that was really, yeah, it was definitely like a moment of vulnerability because like I've spoken about it like with like people I'm closer to, but I don't speak about it all the time. You know, it's not something that like I bring up all the time because it's still something I struggle with. Like it's like this, I feel like it's ups and downs. So to be like that open about it to literally the entire country was super strange but it was also very nice like there was just like a lot of support and love from like random people that I hadn't spoken to in years would like send me a message and be like oh like awesome that you're taking part in this like whatever so yeah definitely terrifying but overall very empowering and that is the origin story of vent over tea they altered the rules of reality and made something inconceivable conceivable People meeting up at cafes to talk to strangers about their problems. Just as there's Uber if you want to ride and Airbnb if you want a place to stay, now there's Vent Over Tea if you want someone to talk to. And it's completely free. Visit ventovertea.com to give it a shot. Hey, it's Mo. I hope you enjoyed that story. If you want easier access to upcoming episodes of Made at McGill, I recommend you subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you use. Also, do you have a wantrepreneur in your life? Maybe your Uncle Bill, who's always talking about his grand business ideas. Consider this. Find one episode in this podcast that you think could give them a slight push. The little nudge that they need to begin their journey as a maker. And have them listen to that episode. And if Uncle Bill ends up turning into the next Bill Gates, who changes the world and along the way becomes a genius billionaire philanthropist, hey, you can take all the credit. Thanks for listening.